0: Called course overview and success factors and so that's where we'll actually start and uh, some of this is some things that we have talked about but a lot of it actually isn't and so uh, this is what we'll jump into and spend the next few minutes of our time together today working through and um, I'm still I'm really particular about how stuff looks on the screen, and I really don't like how squashed everything looks, but hopefully it's at least readable for everyone and I'll see if I can't figure out a better solution for that moving forward. So we've talked about an overview of the course already. We're focusing on Enterprise Information Systems Configuration and the overall configuration process. And so that's, that's the dominant element of this course. Now if you don't know what that means, stay tuned because we'll, we'll talk about that, that in more detail here in a couple of slides. So when we get together for our class times together on Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to talk about business processes in a very in-depth way. Now for those of you that are not computing students, of necessity, due to laying foundation and, and getting going, there's a lot more computery stuff the first few weeks, and then the rest of the course is more of a business process discussion. So don't be scared off by your reading of the first couple of chapters in the textbook or by our first couple of discussions. Um, It kind of levels off, but a lot of times, some business students, I think, get in the first couple of class periods and they're afraid that they're in for something that's gonna be over their head. And I I promise you that I will make that to not be the case for you if you'll just kinda hang in there and, and give us a few class sessions for everything to make sense. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about data handling within ERP systems, how we set up business processes to make sure everything works, and and then the lab, we're going to do a step-by-step walkthrough of the whole configuration process. The key question to me is this one right here. How? You all know I trust, at least in some sense, what an ERP system does. It lets us sell stuff, it lets us buy stuff, it lets us set prices, it lets us look at reports, but if I asked you to explain how that happened, that's probably not a question that you could answer at least with any degree of of real specific detail at this point. This class is focused on that how aspect. Well, here's our first piece of of content, and I think that you will find, if you have have downloaded the slides, this is a good example of where I have given you a slide that has some information in it, and then some information for you to jot down uh, as part of your note-taking in class. Sometimes that will be things that are pre-printed on my slides. Uh, I do ink on the slides, and there'll be a lot of content that I will add as opposed to just showing you a set of PowerPoint slides and us talking about it, um, I think it makes for a better use of our time. How do we take an ERP system and make it match the needs of our company? And I really, we really probably could even change the title of this slide and say, you know, this is really fitting an enterprise information system to the needs of a company. Because everything we're about to say is true of ERP systems, but it also is true in a more general sense of any large-scale enterprise information system that, that a company would buy. When we talk about configuration, what we are talking about is using the existing controls that are within the software to get it to behave like we want it to behave. Yesterday, I was uh, typing a document in Microsoft Word, and as I was typing along, I noticed that my quotation marks in my text were just showing the straight, you know, vertical quotation marks as opposed to the ones that curl in and curl out around the text. And so I went to the menu and opened options and found the little box there and clicked the check mark. And then from that point forward, all of my, all of my quotation marks were, were curved properly around my text. What I did was configuration. I didn't have to say, oh, look at that Microsoft Word doesn't behave the way I want it to. I guess I need to go buy a new piece of software or I guess I need to install a new piece of software, you know, smart quotes for Windows version 27. Or I certainly didn't have to say, well, I guess I'm gonna have to reprogram Microsoft Word just to get it to do quotes the way I want. No, that was part of the system. All I had to do was go in there and and click that and clickety-click-click a few clicks later, I, I had my smart quotes. Pretty straightforward. I'm, I'm sure that all of you have done something like that in any number of different applications whether we're talking about a computer game, a piece of software, an app you run on your phone or otherwise you've gone in and, and made adjustments to how it works for you to get it to work the way you want it to work. Well now here's the thing. In the world of Windows when you install a new piece of software Um, and I'm sure this is true for the Mac as well, it it a lot of times will step you through a wizard. And the wizard will ask you a bunch of questions and then when you're done, it's set up the software for you. And even if it doesn't give you a wizard, if like my little smart quotes thing, you want to figure out how to do it, you can uh, go to Google and type in, you know, smart quotes, Microsoft Word, and in five seconds you're looking at a web page that tells you how to configure it. Configuration in an enterprise information system is a little bit more challenging. Remember the idea of making this so every company can run this software the way that they would want to run it in the context of their business? There are over 100,000 configuration points in SAP here. Now, for those of you that are mathematicians, think about that. That's kind of like saying there's a wall with 100,000 light switches, and if I flip this switch on, that means this is going to happen, and if I flip the switch off, that means this is going to happen. How many possible combinations are there if you have 100,000 light switches? I mean, it's a big number. It's virtually infinite, even though technically speaking. It's not infinite. Practically speaking, it is. Which is why, will you ever find two companies, even though they're using the same software, having it work exactly the same way? Absolutely not. Because we can go in and we can adjust the behavior. Let me give you an example using ERP-SIM. And I will make frequent reference to ERP-SIM because I see it as a shared experience for all of you. Uh, Some of you might have been in the class where you played that game last semester. For some of you it might have been a couple of years, but hopefully you can remember these things. In ERP sim, if a customer came to you and said, I would like 10,000 boxes of blueberry muesli, please, and your virtual people looked in the warehouse and said, we don't have 10,000 boxes, then the customer went on their merry way and you did not make the sale because the way ERP SIM was configured, you would only accept an order from the customer if you had stock on hand in your warehouse sufficient to fulfill that entire order. That was a point of configuration. Your company could have been configured differently. Your company could have been configured to say, you want 10,000 boxes. We've got 8,000, we'll ship you those 8,000 now, Back order 2,000 boxes and have them to you by the first of next week. Could make that happen. Couldn't make that happen in the context of ERP-SIM, but in a real company we could make that happen just by adjusting our configuration. So that's what I'm talking about here. You have in your organization this very, very complex piece of software and your manager comes to you and says, hey, this is the way we want our warehouse to work. And so you have to figure out how to make the software work in a way that enables the warehouse to work the way your company wants it to to work. Now, the nice thing about this is, if we have an effective configuration, it both makes our work easier and also kind of enforces the way we want things to be done in our business. Businesses get in trouble when employees step outside of the controls. Um, When I was in high school, so this is further a long time ago than I would like it to be, but when I was in high school, I worked in a full service restaurant in South Carolina. It was kind of a fine dining establishment. And we had a rule which was employees, when they came to work, I worked on the night shift, when you came to work, you could get dinner, and there was an employee menu, and, and you know, you, had, you got a discount. But the process was you had to go to the cashier, and you had to pay for it, and the cashier would take your money, would key in the order, it would cause the ticket to be printed in the kitchen, the cooks would see it, they would prepare the food, you would get your food. Well, if you've ever worked in a restaurant, You probably have seen something like this happen. Did food ever get cooked for employees and get eaten that didn't get rung up on the cash register? Yes. What happened? Well, a lot of times employees that were found doing that were fired because it was theft. And there were some employees that they, I mean, they probably ate 10 or 15 meals without paying for it before they were caught one day and they were fired. So in our organization, we said, look, the way it's going to work is you pay, there's a ticket printed, the cook cooks it, you get your food. That's the way we wanted to have happen. There should never be a situation where you're eating food and you have not paid for it first. Well, in an organization that's a manufacturing organization that ships out merchandise to customers. What you don't want to have happen is you don't want people just shipping stuff out willy-nilly, you want everything they do to be based on appropriate paperwork that they have gotten that, that tells them what's to go to what customer. Which even means in some situations that if, you know, like there's a frantic call from a customer that says, we need a barrel of this, and you look and right in front of you is a barrel of that. You don't give that to the customer until you have appropriate paperwork authorizing you to give that to the customer. Well, that's where as an organization we think through how we want to do business and then in configuration we adjust the software so that it does that for us. What that means is, for those of you looking at this from a business perspective, what we really don't want to have happen is an employee says, okay, my job in the warehouse is I go and I get a pallet jack and I put the stuff on a pallet and I wheel the stuff over and put it on the customer's truck and I get their signature on the form, and then I go into our financial accounting system and I record a debit for this amount of money and a credit for this amount of money, and I make sure my transaction balances and I save it. You don't want the guy in the warehouse or the gal in the warehouse doing postings to your general ledger. What you want to have happen is you want them to be able to scan a barcode or click a button that says, hey, I just delivered this to a customer, and those accounting transactions happen automatically. That's a part of configuration. When this action happens, here's the transactions, here's the account we want posted, here's how we want to keep track of it in our cost accounting system. We set all that up, and once it's set up and configured just how we want, life becomes automatic and easy. Our inventory records are accurate, our accounting records are accurate because everything as we're doing business all the information that we need to be gathering and processing all of that is happening for us automatically behind the scenes. Configuration is the tool that will let us do that. Now there are some other things though that might fall into this domains of fitting a system to meet the needs of our company. On an employee versus employee basis, we can talk about personalization. Personalization is when a given employee sets up his or her workstation to show him or her things in a way that might be different from someone else. And some of that might be done by that employee, and some of it might be done by us on behalf of that employee. For example, our company might run 30 different plants. But this set of employees works in this plant. So even though it would be possible for our system to collect data from any of the plants that we operate, when an employee is standing in the Anaheim plant, automatically the system knows that and so doesn't ask them, okay, which plant is this for? It knows this is for the Anaheim plant. It also means that when an employee from Human Resources logs into the system, they might see different things in their menu than someone who works in the plant. You know, you really don't want somebody in the plant being able to go in and hire and fire people in the system, or you don't want people working in IT to be able to go in and change people's uh, payroll amounts. You know, certain things like that we want to keep protected. And so personalization allows us to go in and kind of on an individual basis do things like hiding certain things or creating menu paths or specifying default values to make the the workflow for the individual employee uh, a lot easier. And these are things that that typically an end user can do. And you will actually see some things in your lab work of this sort. And, And let me give you an example. All of you have been given a login name in the format of like GBI-002 which is actually the account that I'm using um, for, for working through uh, my version of the lab documents to use as a demo for you. Well, the last two digits of that are significant and then I think we refer to that as kind of your user code. And in instructions that's going to be represented by uh, a double pound. Whoops. Let me uh, back up here a bit. There we go. Um, So each of you will be working in the same system but creating your own individual resources for your organization. So when the time comes for you to create a general ledger your general ledger will be identified by the code GL and then in the documents you'll see GL pound pound, which for me means my general ledger is GL02. If your user login is GBI017, your general ledger is going to be GL17. And all throughout this semester, whenever it says go into your general ledger, you're always going to go into general ledger 17, I'm going to go into general ledger 02, your classmates are going to go into general ledger 15, and so on. If you wanted to, you could just, through various menu pull-downs and such, tell the system, just automatically put in GL 17 anytime you're asking me about the general ledger, because that's always the one I use users have the ability to do that kind of personalization just to save themselves from typing or some data entry or so on and there are some instructions in your your lab materials that that talk about that if you want to do that. Modification. Now we're moving into a different world. Modification is where we're going to actually change the core software to reflect the fact that we want this software to behave differently. This is also referred to as as customization. So the idea is this. SAP has written this software to be one that would be generalizable to a wide array of, of different businesses. And when I say a wide array of different businesses. It can do accounting based on generally accepted accounting principles. It can do general accounting based on um, international standards. It can do accounting based on if you're in Italy or you're in Germany, or just about any other company, country out there, you can just say we're in this country and we wanna do accounting this way, and that carries with it a whole default set of rules that would be true based on the laws of those organizations. And there's a lot of things like that that are set up that way to help customers. But every once in a while a customer will say, we want our software to do this. And they look in configuration and they say, we can't figure out a way to get the software to do what we want it to do through configuration. We're going to have to engage in customization. Now in customization, it's, it's, I, I always associate customization with the mental picture of a chainsaw because what you're going to do is you're gonna cut into the software that the vendor has written and actually change the code. When you do that, that is very, very, very dangerous. Why is that dangerous? What do you think? We could run into licensing issues depending upon whose software we're cutting into and how we're cutting into it. What else? Ah. I'll put down licensing because that was a valid and very good thought here, Um, break stuff. Software a lot of times is very much like a house of cards and you think all I have to do is remove this one little card right here and all kinds of other stuff are built on the foundation that you're cutting into and the whole thing falls apart. So if we're going to engage in customization we have to be really, really careful to truly understand what we're cutting into and make sure that we're not going to break something. What else could you think of might be affected here? Ah, updates. That's a huge one because just like Microsoft now with Windows 10 is, you know, I don't know what their schedule is, weekly or monthly or whatever, they push out all these patches and, and all these updates and such. Well, they're doing that based on the assumption that you're running software the way they delivered it to you. If I am using SAP ERP and I cut into their product, now all of a sudden I might have pulled myself out of the ability to apply updates. Because first of all, applying updates might cause my stuff to break that was working before I update it you maybe have seen things like that happen on your personal computer where stuff was working fine and along came an update and now stuff's not working, well we could have that same kind of thing happen in an enterprise environment. Um, The classic example of this, well there's two actually, one that's a bit older and one that's very, very contemporary. One that's a bit older is a company that that maybe you've heard of, they're kind of falling off the scene now a little bit, but Gateway was a, a computer company kind of Along the lines of Dell, but not Dell, where they did, you know, we'll make a custom computer for customers and we'll ship it to your home. Uh, They were a a somewhat big player in the the mid to late 90s, I think, and then they kind of fell away. Well, Gateway actually bought SAP ERP. But when they were setting it up for their organization, they said, you know, there's a lot of stuff we want the system to do that it can't do, so we're going to we're modify it, we're going to customize it. Now in reality, they later realized something that I want us to talk about in a second, which is that they made a mistake in that, in coming to that conclusion. But nonetheless, they made all these modifications. And then SAP came out with the next version. And they said, ooh, look at all those bells and whistles that are in the next version. We wish we could upgrade, but we can't because we customized our stuff and if we upgrade we're going to lose it all so we'll just stick with what we have, thanks. Next version came out. Ooh, look at all those bells and whistles. And it's kind of like the same people now that are running like Windows 95, you know, because They built something critical in their organization on top of Windows 95, and so they were never able to upgrade to later versions of Windows. Gateway was hugely far behind the rest of the marketplace, and all the other customers had all these nice mobility tools, and all these nice analytics tools, and Gateway had nothing because they were literally running software that was over a decade old. Why did that happen to them? Because of all the customization and modification they had done. A more contemporary example of that, see if anybody from this company is watching our videos and wants to send me an email, I get some of those sometimes. Dow Chemical, big company, huge company in the chemical industry, not running contemporary (coughs) ERP systems, because they did so much modification they, they put themselves in a position where they were no longer contemporary. The really fun thing that happens in the SAP space is when you aren't running contemporary versions of their software, you have to pay extra money for support. So not only do you like paint yourself into a corner, but you have to pay extra money to stay there in the corner. So with modification, this should, have, you know, this should be written in like bright red and flashing danger danger, danger, you don't want to do this. Now the good news is that most of the time you don't have to do this. I had a conversation a few years ago with a developer uh, at the University of Tennessee. University of Tennessee actually runs SAP ERP. They've hired a number of our graduates over the past few years. They've hired the technology graduates to work in their um, IT side They've not hired any of our business graduates, which maybe some of you can turn that around because they actually run it out of their treasurer's office. And they do a lot with SAP ERP in in their accounting and business process work. But this, this person I was talking to from the University of Tennessee said there are a lot of decisions we made very early on in our use of SAP where we thought we had to do modification and in some cases we would work and work and work and in some cases literally invest hundreds of hours to develop a custom solution only to realize that all we had to do was go in and run this transaction and adjust these five settings and it would do exactly what we wanted it to do. Part of that comes from there are so many configuration options. Now let me tell you a big secret about the world of enterprise information system. If I use this circle right here to represent, you pick the product, SAP ERP is the one we'll talk about, but this would also be true for Microsoft Dynamics, it would be true for Oracle's products, and so on. The typical person working in the SAP ecosystem understands that much of it. If they're really, really, really good and have devoted their entire life to it, I'll give them credit and say they know that much of it. The systems are so complex, nobody can truly understand the system. I'll say more about this, I think, in an an upcoming slide, so I don't want to get ahead of myself too much. But it's very, very common in advertising to say things like, for our company, we need someone who knows SAP ERP FI. FI means they know financial accounting. They don't know warehouse management. They don't know cost accounting. They don't know profitability analysis. They know financial accounting. And the expectation is they're an expert in financial accounting. And so they know you know, this little slice right here. And they know it really well. And if they're really an expert in it, they're going to get paid really, really well. But the system is so complicated that no one can understand everything. Which is why it does become challenging a lot of times to figure out, is there a way for us to get where we want to get by way of, of configuration? And the answer to that is is not at all trivial. This summer, I did some consulting uh, in the SAP ERP space with a company that's getting ready to transition to S4 on HANA, and um, I'll say more about that later this semester. Um, my job for the first 75% of the summer was something that I'm sure a lot of you would be very well prepared for, but probably would not have found it joyous as, admittedly neither did I, was reading documentation. I easily read 10,000 pages of documentation this summer, which for the project I was working on, led me to believe I probably knew maybe about as much as that little slice I colored in there. Um, It's amazing how as you dig into these systems, how ignorant you really realize you are. And when you talk to people, you know, if you're gonna talk to somebody who's gonna be really honest with you, and they'll say, yep, I've been working with these systems for the last 40 years, and I still feel like I only understand this little bit of it. That's the real challenge here. Now, part of that is kind of fun. Part of it also points to something that even if you're not excited about all the documentation and the other things that we've been talking about, should, I think, make you excited, Which is somebody who knows this slice right here is in a position to command pretty good money, okay? Our graduates who have graduated with the SAP certificate and gone out to work for companies that truly understand the value of what they're hiring are making out of college really, really, really good money and the future is very, very bright for them. We have a few graduate students who graduated taking some ERP courses, haven't been gone very long from here, that are making more than I am after 25 years in higher education. Now, I work for a state institution, so that's not that surprising, but I make okay money. They're two years out of grad school, they're making more than I am. By the time they are 25 years into their career, Um, I I would hesitate to think what they will be making. I talked to one professional this summer who was getting ready to retire, and his company said, no, you have a lot of expertise. We don't want you to retire. And to get him to stay, they gave him a six-figure raise, okay? Um, I've never seen a six-figure raise in my life. If any of you get one of those in the future, please send me an email and I will write you back and I will congratulate you and ask you to take me to lunch or something like that, okay? (laughs) But six figure raises, it's like, oh look, there's a dinosaur in the corner. You know, I'm just not ever expecting to see that happen. That's the good thing about all of this. The fact that this is hard and that not everybody knows it and quite frankly, not everybody wants to learn it is good for those of you that are willing to do this and are interested in this. Once again, whether you're coming at this from the business perspective or coming at it from the the computing perspective, there are really, really good jobs here, which creates a tremendous opportunity for you in this space. Now, how I got there from modification, I don't remember the exact pathway, but let's get back to our fitting ERP to the needs of our company. I have forewarned you that modification is really, really, really dangerous. What is okay if we are careful is enhancement. Enhancement is where we're not going to cut into the established system, but we are going to add on to it. We need the system to do this piece of functionality and as it stands now, it does not. So we're not gonna change anything that's there already, but we're gonna add more things onto it. We, we call that enhancement, and that is something that we absolutely can do, and if we do it wisely, um, there's no reason at all why it should create any problems for us. Now we still do run the risk of what happens to our enhancement if the underlying software changes. It's kind of like if you view the software that exists as a building. We're saying, okay, we're not gonna change the building, we're just gonna go up on the roof and build a little shack there, okay? That's fine, but then, I don't know how you deliver a new version of a building, but if a new version of the building comes out and somehow that caused things on the roof to be moved around a little bit, we might have to adjust the structure that we created there. So sometimes this does create some challenges for us, but because we're not actually cutting into the software as it was delivered to us by our vendor, it's much less risky. And and very closely related to enhancement is seen two terms used here, either custom development or customer development. And this is really a kind of enhancement where we go in and we create unique elements within the system. We need this piece of functionality that's unique to our industry. And so because it's so specialized and so unique, there's just not anything out there already like this, and so as a result, we're going to have to create it ourselves. Let me see if I can make this little guy go away here. There we go. So, before we leave this slide and we'll talk back through it, let me give you one more point here. And this is kind of a, an unfortunate thing. Some sources use the terms configuration and customization synonymously. That's bad. They mean very, very different things. We're going to talk about configuration this semester. We're not going to be talking about cutting into the software and making modifications to the underlying code. For those of you that have taken the enterprise programming course, really what we talk about in that course falls into the category of the last two things here, enhancement and customer, customer development. Uh, In no way, shape or form do we want to get chased down the modification path. Yes, sir. Sure, Uh, customer development where you will very, very typically see this is in reporting. Um, out of the box you get literally thousands of standard reports and you get controls that, that allow you to say, I want this data to show up and I want these fields and so on. You get kind of a report builder kind of thing. But every once in a while your organization might have an unusual structure and you want to pull data from here and here and here and put it all on the same report, and there's just not anything out of the box like that because it's really unique to your company, you can write a custom report to do that. That's what we're talking about when we say customer development. Um, That would be one example, and in fact a lot of times what happens with SAP is customers create these things and sometimes they're unique to the company but sometimes they're relevant for a given industry and in some cases SAP will license it from their customer and build it into future iterations of the software and that's kind of good for everybody because then that company no longer has to worry about updates in the future breaking it because SAP is now taking over ownership of that as well, but that would be an example of that. Other questions about this? This is kind of foundational. This gives you a sense of of where we're heading and what we're going to be talking about and, and what we're going to be doing this semester. Questions, comments, riddles, funny stories? limericks. I'll take, I'll take anything. Let's see what we have on the next slide. I think this probably represents a, a a good place for us to stop for today. When we get together on Thursday, the next slide is going to have us talking a little bit more about configuration versus customization and that'll be a good review for us. Let me just as an aside, I, I don't envision A starting class on Thursday uh, with a quiz. But if we were to, you know, and I were looking at this slide, you might see questions on the quiz that would be something like blank is using existing controls within the software to conform its functionality to the desired behavior. And you would have to say, I know that's configuration. So just off of this one slide right here, I could probably easily get six or seven different quiz questions. What I really encourage you to do in this class, and today was kind of a short class session because of the ramp-up period, is get in the habit of just going over your notes iteratively. And I think if you do that, the terminology won't be burdensome for you when it does come time to actually prepare for a quiz you're anticipating or an exam. There's lots of terms and lots of terms that have fairly particular meanings uh, in this space and so you wanna make sure that you're, you're keeping track of all of those things. All right, well if there aren't any questions by anyone before we head out, uh, this'll be a good place for us to stop so I'll look forward to seeing you guys when we get together on Thursday. Have a great day.